أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الذي له ما في السماوات وما في الأرض وله الحمد في الآخرة وهو الحكيم الخبير صدق الله العظيم We are doing Surah Saba which is Surah number 34 of Quran Surah Al-Ahzab I will do after Dhor right? It's a very main and critical Surah There are a lot of important things there So I will do that in the regular time slot Right now we, inshallah, this morning are going to do Surah Sabah and then Surah Fatir. Surah Sabah is, again, going to simply outline some basic aspects of faith and is also going to make a brief mention of the powers of Sayyidina Dawud al-Islam and Sayyidina Sulaiman al-Islam. It is also a Makki Surah and it has 54 ayat. Allah Ta'ala, Ta'ala brings this, begins this Surah by saying, that all praise belongs to Allah SWT alone. He is that being that to Him alone belongs everything that is in the heavens and in the earth. And to Allah Ta'ala alone belongs all praise in the Akhirah. And indeed Allah Ta'ala is perfectly wise and Allah Ta'ala is ultimately informed. What does this mean? Allah SWT the only one worthy of hamd in both worlds. It means both in terms of our ibadah and our ubudiyyah in this dunya belongs only to Allah Taala, so to free ourselves from all other false deities but in the akhirah it means that Allah Taala is worthy of praise because throughout all eternity also Allah Taala will be praised in akhirah and he alone is the one who can give us lazat and lutf and falah and fawz and means blessing and success and victory and pleasure in the akhirah يَعْلَمُ مَا يَلَجُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَمَا يَخْرُجُوا مِنْهَا وَمَا يَنْزِلُ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ وَمَا يَعْلَجُوا فِيهَا Allah SWT says that being, He knows whatever goes into the earth and He knows what comes out from it. He knows what will descend from the sky and He knows what ascends up into it. وَهُوَ الْرَحِيمُ الْغَفُورِ And Allah SWT is the being of ultimate mercy and ultimate forgiveness. What does it mean those things that go up to Allah SWT refers to our a'mal, our deeds, this is a metaphor that Allah Ta'ala has used, that the person's actions and du'as that a person makes are lifted up to Allah Ta'ala, not up because Allah Ta'ala is physically on the sky or in the clouds, but up because Allah Ta'ala is beyond. And when we look down, there's no sense of beyond because that is the earth and that's going into the center of the planet. When we look left, right, front, back, there's no sense of beyond. It's human nature that when they look up at the skies, that they get this sense of beyond. And also because Allah has put stars in the night sky and we know that the stars are out there in outer space beyond us, beyond our solar system, beyond our galaxy. So the human inclination, what direction do they look at or what direction do they associate with the concept of beyondness, transcendentalness or transcendence that is above. So that's why Allah said that your deeds are lifted up to Him, lifted up to Him in terms of they are brought to His presence by the angels. So Allah SWT intimately knows each and every single thing and He is all merciful and all forgiving means out of His mercy He accepts those actions out of His maghfirah and His forgiveness He forgives those sins He accepts and answers those du'as of forgiveness and He accepts people's tawbah So in this first two ayat of Qur'an Allah SWT has mentioned details about Him own self and then verse 3 onward He goes to rebut it's your rebuttal to the statement of the disbelievers. Now the rubbed here is that and those who disbelieve in such an Allah 
as was described in the first two verses, those who disbelieve in Al-Rahim, those who disbelieve in Al-Ghafur, who disbelieve in Al-Hakim, who disbelieve in Al-Khabir, what do they say? That that the day of judgment, the hour, will never ever come upon us. The end of time will never come upon us. This is a myth. This is a fable. So cool. Say to them, my beloved messenger, No, indeed, oh yes, it will come. Indeed, by my love, it will surely come upon you. It will surely and certainly dawn upon, come upon each and every one of you. And who is my love? Allah Ta'ala, my love is the one who has all knowledge and knowledge of the unseen. That there is nothing that is even the weight of so much as a particle Nothing even the weight of an atom or a particle that is in the heavens and the earth Nothing like that escapes his note and escapes his attention Nothing even smaller than that can escape his attention and nothing greater than that can escape his attention why? because nothing smaller or greater than an atom's weight except that it is in a clear record and this is something we would explained to you before the Kitab al-Mubin refers to Allah mahfuz the preserved eternal tablet and Allah subhanahu wa decreed that all of the matters and affairs of creation should exist in the tablet which is itself creation then Allah subhanahu wa mentions another reason the day of judgment will come, if the reason the day of judgment will exist is that so Allah subhanahu wa may reward those who have iman and those who have been doing righteous works and acts of worship and acts of virtue and piety. Because of their iman, they will have a maghfirah, they will get the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa because of their iman, and they will get rizqun kareem because of their a'mal. So this is the rub between Iman and Atma. How much risk a person gets in the Akhirah, their Dharajah in Akhirah, their blessings in Akhirah, all of that depends on the extent of their A'mal. Their entry into Akhirah will be that Allah Ta'ala will send His mercy and forgiveness upon them. That is because of their Iman. وَالَّذِينَ سَعُوا فِي آيَاتِنَا مُعَاجِزِينَ أُولَاكَ لَهُمْ عَذَابٌ مِّنْ رِزْزٍ عَلِيمٌ And indeed those who strive and we have done this before, Sa'o, those who strive and will exert themselves, what? To defeat our verses, to thwart our verses, so this is referred to the disbelievers, that either striving to cast doubts on the hearts of people by declaring the Potsam to be a magician or a soothsayer or a poet or majnoon, or they're trying to actively on earth see to it that the teachings of these verses are not implemented in society, so those who thwart and try to counter and try to Harry, the verses of Allah Subhanahu what will happen? They will get an adab alim. They will get a terrible. They will suffer a painful punishment. Min alim, which is alim means painful, and ridz can mean from a painful torment or painful proportions. But those again who are bestowed ilm, those to whom ilm knowledge has been given, they see that what has been sent down to you, Nabiya Karim Sallam, that is haq, that has been sent down to you from your love is indeed haq is the truth. And what is it? And then whosoever follows that haq, then they will be guided by that truth. 
to Sirat al-Aziz al-Hamid, to the path of that almighty and all praiseworthy Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So again you have this notion of those who have ilm. Ilm can mean, number one, those who, again the ulama of the Ahlul Kitab, so they had the ilm of the early scripture, they recognized it to be haq, and therefore their recognization of that haq enables them to be rightly guided if they can have the strength to abandon the religion of their forefathers and accept deen of Islam. A second meaning of utul ilm can be originally the Sahabi Kram, that when Allah Ta'ala gave them the ilm, the knowledge with which they recognized the nur of Nabi Karim Sallallahu the nur of Quran, the Haqqani of Deen, then they were able to be rightly guided. And it is again like every other verse in the Quran, it has umum in it, it has universal application and or universal lessons in it, right? Uh, and that means that anyone who gets the ilm of Quran will be able to realize the Haqqaniyat of Quran. Anybody who gets the knowledge about the meaning and feeling of these verses will realize that these verses, this is kalamullah, only the kalam of Allah SWT could have such meaning and could instill such feeling. And once they realize that, وَيَهْدِي إِلَّا سِرَاتِ الْعَزِيزِ الْحَمِيدِ Then they will be able to be guided to the path of Al-Aziz Al-Hamid, that one who is almighty, that will retain his might over them even if they chose not to follow their knowledge that they have. And with Al-Hamid, that all praise will lie to him if they choose to follow it. They cannot congratulate themselves or praise their own knowledge, but rather all praise lies to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Verse number 7, وَقَالَ لَذِينَ كَفُرُوا هَلْ نَدُلُّكُمْ عَلَى رَجْلٍ يُنَبِّئُكُمْ إِذَا مُزِكْتُمْ كُلَّ مُمَزِّكْ إِنَّكُمْ لَفِي خَلْقٍ جَدِيدٍ So the unbelievers used to say, shall we show you, shall we indicate to you a person who tells you that when you, they're they're mockingly saying this about Nabiya Karim Sassam, that can we point out and show you that person who tells you that when you have been, when you die, what it means when you have been dissolved in total disintegration, then you will reappear as a new creation. In fact, he has invented a, does he invent a lie about Allah subhanahu wa or has a jinn possessed him and has he become is he a jinn has a jinn possessed him or be he jinn can also mean is he majnoon is he become insane so Allah responds to those disbelievers who used to say such things about Nabiya Karim Sallallahu that obviously both allegations are false so no rather anybody who doesn't believe in the akhirah who doesn't believe in the hereafter they will end up in that hereafter, in an adab, in a punishment, and they will be with Allah al-Bayd, they will be in a very far astray. And we've explained this to you before, again on this earth they will be far astray, because they are furthest astray from the truth by adopting kufr, and in the akhirah they will call as far astray, because they are on a path that is so astray, that they can never set it right again, because the time and opportunity to set it right was only on earth, and therefore now they are in a zalala that is called ba'id, that they are far removed and irretrievably removed, irretrievably far away from following the, following the path of hidayah and guidance. أَفَلَمْ يَرَوْا إِلَى مَا بَيْنَ أَيْدِيهِمْ وَمَا خَلْفَهُمْ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ وَالْأَرْضِ إِنَّ شَأْ نَخْسِفْ بِهِمْ الْأَرْضَ أَوْ نُسْكِدْ عَلَيْهِمْ كِسَفَاتِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, now hear that, do they not look at the sky? 
they do not reflect and they have not seen. Literally, ma bainadi wa ma khalfum means what is in front of them and what is behind them. What they find before them and behind them in the sky and the earth. Then Allah says that if we were to wish, inna if we were to wish, we could cause the earth to cave in with them, we could sink them into the earth, or we could make the sky, nuskit alayhim, we could make the sky drop down upon them, kisafam min samai in fragments and in pieces, inna fi indeed all of this is a sign not for the disbeliever, but for the abd, and what type of abd, the abdim munib. So what does it mean? We'll sink them in the ground. It can mean like what Allah sponsored it with Qarun or cause the sky to fall upon them. That was the punishment that was inflicted on the qawm of Sayyidina Lut which we had done before. So when they look at the sky and the earth, what does it mean? It, Allah Ta'ala is saying they should look at the horizons. And just like they cannot escape the earth, nor can they escape the sky, wherever they are in terms of this plane, they will always be on the ground. Whenever they look up, the sky will always be above them. So just like they cannot escape the earth and the sky, just like that they cannot escape the power of Allah SWT, that being who created the earth and the sky. And then they should realize that at any moment, that same Allah Ta'ala who caused Qarun to sink in the ground, they are on the ground at any moment, that same Allah Ta'ala could cause them to sink in the ground. At any moment, that same Allah Ta'ala caused the sky to drop down on the Qamalut Islam. That, that sky is always over them, the same sky that fell upon them, and same Allah SWT has power over the sky. So what is the feeling that this is supposed to inculcate in a person? It's supposed to make a person an abd, it's supposed to make a person uh, become the servant and slave and submit to every commandment of Allah SWT. And munib is the person of inaba, it means they should incline... <coughs> Their heart should incline and be yearned towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Simply speaking, it means they should not be fooled by the fact that they have, the disbelievers should be fooled by the fact that they haven't been punishment, haven't been punished because all of the tools of punishment remain and most importantly Allah Ta'ala's power, punishing power remains. Rather, it is actually Allah Ta'ala's mercy for all of humanity that is living in the age of the Nabu and Nabiya Qaim that He doesn't send a civilizational level natural disaster punishment on them so that this is part of the process of being rahmatan al-alamin then from verse 10 onwards Allah subhanahu mentions as we told you the story of Sayyidina Dawud al-Islam and Sayyidina Suleiman al-Islam this is something that we had done earlier uh, in Surah Anbiya and a little bit of this is coming ahead in Surah Sa'al but a couple of specific details here وَلَكَدْ أَتَيْنَا دَعُودَ مِنَّا فَضْلًا that indeed we bestowed upon Sayyidina Dawud Islam a fadl from us. Fadl means a bounty, a grace, some blessings and favors from us. And what was one aspect of that? Well, that was that Allah SWT told the mountains, Ya Jibalu, that O mountains, O be ma'ahu that you should recite, you should, O mountains and birds, you should sing or glorify the praises of Allah SWT, ma'ahu with him. And the second thing is we made hadid layin for him, we made iron soft for him. Means we taught him the method of putting iron in the furnace and burning it, or melting it rather, and making it what they call molten iron, and then molding it to whatever type of thing that he wants. So this is two things that Allah SWT is mentioning specifically here. So the mountains and the birds, here Allah is doing an ishara that everything that is inanimate and everything that modern science calls inanimate, 
and everything that science calls animate, all of that does the tasbih and the hamd of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Certainly, if you are awake at the time of Suhoor and Fajr, you may be able to hear the voices of the birds, right? But you would probably never be able to hear the voice of the mountains. Everything has its own way of doing the tasbih and hamd of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But here they were told to join with, right, ma'ahu, to join with Sayyidina Islam whenever he used to praise and glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second thing is Allah said that he has made iron soft for Sayyidina Islam, so in the next verse of Allah Ta'ala Allah makes it clear for what? Anitmalu sabiratu maqadir. It means that Sayyidina Islam could make this into coats of what we call chain mail in earlier English, or you could call it coats of armor, right? Maqadir fi sardi wa'amalu saliha. And it means that he can perfect the links. So sometimes this used to be called chain mail, used to be called ring mail. What happens is you make small rings of iron and you link them to one another and you wear that and that is known as chain mail armor. Right? So this concept of bending and creating the iron into circles, then linking them to one another, this was something that Allah SWT revealed on Sayyidina Dawud Clearly this also establishes that in order to uh, repudiate the forces of evil, Sayyidina Dawud would also, and his Sahaba and the Mu'mineen of his time, would have certainly had to have need for this armor, means there was a need for uh, military uh, force or military activity to establish here on earth and to repel the Shah. And this is something that the Torah and Injil, even in their present form, the Old Testament, New Testament, the Talmud, talk about the power and the might and the armies of David Yanisena Dawud Salihah and the next thing is Allah says that you should all each and every one of you should do good deeds. So this is the rupt between these two things is number one, that one should never use armor and a weaponry to do anything other than Atmala Salih. One should not misabuse this. One should not use weapons for that which is wrong and that which is foul. And much of human history, whether before the Prophet or after the Prophet or from now on, from henceforth after Shaykhna many people have used their ability to manufacture weaponry or armor for things that would not be called Amal Salih, but were actually used for twisted and evil purposes, most recently such as colonialism, even more recently, such as invasion and occupation of and subjugation of other people in other lands and other territories. Last and Allah says, Inni bima basir, that indeed each and everything that you do, I am aware and watching over it. So again, a notion that even when you are forced to this last resort option, which is military force, to do some purpose of deen, you can only do it for Amala Salih and you must always be aware that Allah Ta'ala is watching you so you never transgress the browns, you never commit any type of transgression. From 12 on, Allah Ta'ala mentions Sayyidina Sulaiman Al-Islam, the Sulaiman Al-Riha, so this is something we mentioned before that and to Sulaiman Al-Islam was subordinated the winds <coughs> and the traveling of that wind in the morning was a month's journey and its travel by the evening was also a month's journey. And then Allah mentions that we made a spring of molten brass or copper, molten brass or copper to flow for him. And there were those of the jinn who used to work before him, used to work for Sayyidina Sulaiman salam by the permission of Allah But if any one of them deviated 
But this means something that we had done earlier, but now that the Sayyidina had jinn who used to follow his commands, and as he would please, the jinn would construct different things for him. What is this notion of the wind that it is so fast in the single morning and evening? So what it means is that the wind was subjugated to Sulaiman so much that in one morning he would travel on the wind what normally would be a month's journey. And in one evening he would be able to come back again, do a day trip, uh, go in the morning by the wind and come back in the evening by the wind. Otherwise a journey which both ways would have taken one month. So what would have been the prevalent uh, form of travel at the time would be land travel, mostly walking or on a slow camel. So however far one could have gone in a month, that's how Allah Ta'ala, that's how much. So it means that certain, so it means there was a limit. It's not that Sulaiman Islam and the wind could just reach from you know, America to Australia in one morning, he could go as far as would have been one month's travel. That was the extent that Allah SWT subjugated the wind to Sulaiman The second metal that is mentioned here, either copper or brass, and uh, here it is mentioned that it, Allah Ta'ala made like a spring or an entire river of liquid of molten brass flow for him. It's understood that here, this is an ashara towards the use of utensils and tools. That Sayyidina Sulaiman ordered the jinn to use that copper and brass to manufacture all types of utensils and tools, especially tools that were used in their construction that he used to command them to do. Those jinn who used to work for uh, Sayyidina Sulaiman Islam. Allah SWT says that those who disobeyed the command of Allah SWT, Allah Ta'ala would make them suffer the punishment. Here some commentators have said that what some of the jinn did uh, is that they used to take that copper and brass and make idols and statues out of it, of gods. There's going to be a type of statue, you're going to see the next ayah, that they will make, which may be something that is permissible, but they used to... The evil jinn used to use that to make idol uh, copper and bronze statues. And you will see that if you look in historical communities, in the Buddhist community, for example, you will find many, many idols of Buddha that are made from copper and bronze, sometimes gold-plated, if it was a more affluent community. So this suggests that the beginning of that, right, uh, and it also shows that evil, sat sat with nabuhat. So you have a nabi and you have jinn. And even though they're outwardly submissive to him, but it means the evil of these jinn. Why? Because remember that the evil jinn are the ones who are from the shayateen, who are the minions and aids of Iblis. And because Iblis had sworn this oath to draw astray the children of Sayyidina Adam well the first and foremost of the children, the Bani Adam, are the Anbiya, are the fellow Anbiya, right? So it means the jinn wanted to use whatever blessings Allah Ta'ala sent humanity through the Anbiya, those very same blessings have also been used for evil by evil humans and jinns. So I gave you the example of the armor earlier. Here's another example of the copper and bronze. So actually Allah Ta'ala wanted all of these things to be used uh, for khair, but people with evil intent and evil purpose find a way to use things 
that can be used uh, use things originally intended for fear, they find a way to use them for shut. So the first thing, and maharib is the plural of mihrab. So what does it mean that he used to have that does jinn construct for him whatever he wanted from number one maharib? So maharib can be translated in multiple ways. One way to perhaps translate it would be a pavilion, large pavilions. Some may even view that the mihrab is symbolic of the building, so one can translate it as large buildings. Some could translate maharib also as in ardin mihrab. So mihrab is a place of worship to construct large edifices of worship. Your translator has written castles, correct? Right. Castles, so what I was saying, pavilions, buildings, castles, palaces, right? But maharib, anyway, it is the plural of mihrab and that is something that you know. Another meaning of mihrab, perhaps that's why he in castle, another meaning of mihrab could be fortress, right? Uh, because a mihrab is a structure that is used in the masjid, but you have many mihrabs in fortresses. They are the way that the guards of the fortress look out, and they also launch arrows. So perhaps one could say fortresses, or I forget, there are a few other words in English that can be used for this. Paramounts, fortresses, fortifications, right? Uh, that's number one. Number two, with tamathil. Now, tamathil means things that are the middle. Uh, and so, really, the one way we want to translate this would be likenesses. Uh, but some would translate this as images or likenesses. What does that mean? Now, again, once he started ordering to form likenesses, so it was very easy then for the disbelieving jinn to use that to form likenesses of animals or likenesses of false gods or to form idols. Tamathil may mean, for example, you know, making a likeness of a big statue, a uh, big statue of a mountain, or making the likeness of a tree, or making the likeness of a whole scenery. Like even today you will find some bronze and copper art where people have in bronze engraved or carved out an entire scene let's say, of a valley and a tree and a river and a lake. So this is what is meant here by tamathil. Some people mistranslate this word as statues. Tamathil, it comes from mithil. It means a likeness, or you could say images. Images is also okay, but you wouldn't want to translate this word as a, a statue. Jifan. Jifan is... Jifanin... Uh, Okay. Then, Jifan can be translated as dishes. He is translated as basins, right? Basins, cookware, dishes, pots. This is basically what Jifan and Kudur. Kudur means what you call dek, right? Handi. That is clear. So that would be better translated as a large pot. Okay. And Jifan can mean dishes uh, that go along with those pots. But they were such that, rasiyat, that they were so firm, means they were so large, that they were immovable. They could not be removed from their places. Maybe a good, another way to translate this would be bowls and cauldrons. Cauldron is a more fancy English word for this Arabic word, kudur. Then Allah subhanahu wa addressed the family of Sayyidina Allah, i'malu ala Dawuda, that, O oh, family of Dawud al-Islam, i'malu shukra, you should perform the act of intense gratitude. What it means in English is that you should express your deep and sincere thanks. 
And that Allah Ta'ala says, indeed, there are very few of my ibad who are grateful. So here, again, this is something Allah Ta'ala has mentioned before. It's not talking about unbelievers. From the ibad, ibad are obviously mu'minin. They are ones who are doing ibad, worship Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. They are ones who are abd, they submit to Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala. So even people who have iman, ibad, and ubudiyya, even the vast majority of them fail to express their thanks properly to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they are not thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alright let me just comment a little bit on this issue of images of tamathil very simple uh, Nabiya Kareem Sassam in many many ahadith has prohibited something in Arabic which is known as taswir which you have the same word in Urdu taswir in Arabic means to create a surah surah is also very similar to surah in mithil to create the likeness of something. This was the prohibition of depicting animate life, not depicting trees, or the trees are also obviously the creation of Allah Spantala, but that creation which we today would call an English animate life form. And the prohibition is about whether it's sculpture, so it's a human sculpture, whether it's a painting, so a portrait of a human being, or whether it's a painting of a lion, or a painting of a tiger, or any type of animal or human life, to depict such life in any art form has not been allowed in the deen of Islam. And there are many, many hadith, uh, the ones that most people are aware of, for example in Sayyid Bukhari, the Prophet said that the angels do not enter that home in which these tasawir are displayed. Now this is fascinating because even at the time of Jahiliyyah, you don't have this notion of displaying and wall hangings and pictures and portraits that we can see in so many of the living rooms and drawing rooms of today. At that, the best even what they had, I mean the most that they had was their idols, what they put up on a mantle or something like that. But they didn't have big paintings and things like that. So actually the Ummah has gone into this side. Yes, you can have any painting or wall hanging or any depiction of non-animate life. You see, this is our deep. Right? Now, if a person asks the ismi kya harajay, yes, I have no problem telling you that as far as this world goes, there's absolutely no haraj whatsoever. Right? But Allah is Allah. Right? And if you're a believer, then your iman will teach you one haraj is that the angels of mercy won't come. They have a joke that a person once put paintings in his house after he read the cities because he thought the angel of death wouldn't come. So the muhaddithi now had to add in the commentary that when it says the angels won't come, it means the angels of mercy won't come, the angels of death will come into that home, no matter how many pictures you have, right? So, and if you think about it, this is sometimes I explain it to people also, especially who are newly practicing, this is what I call an easy A. Is it difficult for you to wake up every night for tahajjud? Yes. How easy is it for you to remove a painting of a lion and instead put up a painting of a waterfall? That's my response. That's my retort, right? It's not difficult. It's really to be so attached to paintings and sculptures. And really, I mean, it's a big, you know, especially in elite Pakistani crowds, I mean, they love this. You know, they have, you know, some living rooms I go to, they look like museums. You feel like you're in a museum. There's so many human sculptures and there's so much of that stuff, right? And, you know, the, that's my second response. And the first response is, And second response is, Let's be honest. I mean, what, what benefit are you getting? Fine, there's no harm, but show me the benefit. What benefit do you get? 
And even some of the homes of Muslims, and all of you know this, even have paintings of women who are scantily clad, or even what they call nudist art. It may be cer- certainly slightly abstract, but they even have that in their homes. Right? I mean, what are we thinking? Right? What, what are we doing? And really, you know, when a person walks into the home of a Muslim, they should feel like it's the home of a Muslim. They shouldn't feel like they walked into an annex of the Louvre, or this is a, you know, a display unknown from the New York Museum of Modern Art. They, why, why do you want to give people that impression? What does that do for you? Can any person say that, no, when I see that painting, I do the zikr of Allah Can anyone say that? So they can't say that. That itself is the answer to Ismail Karaj Kya. And then people will have to accept it. Yes, that is confirmed. That when we sit in this living room, we don't, you know, uh, feel the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Because the Prophet explained to us this was his love and mercy because the angels of Barakah aren't in that room. That's why you don't feel the zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because the angels of Barakah and mercy are not in that room. Right? Alright, so this was a thing that needed to be commented on, right? That said, that doesn't mean now you go home and you have fights with your father and you go and you tear up your paintings. People have to come to this in their own heart, right? You have to explain to them uh, when their heart is soft and when their heart gets softened and they will come to that decision themselves, right? Okay, verse number 14. And then when we decree death for him, yani death for Sayyidina Suleiman Salam, Ma Dallahum Alamotihi illa da batul Ardi Takulumin Saatahu that there is nothing that um, indicated there's nothing that indicated his death except for literally it means a creature of the earth. But you can understand this to mean because it's not that Dambatul Ard, so I wouldn't say creature of earth, it's Termites, right? Who were eating his staff. Even the word scepter is a little bit wizard-like. It's his staff, but it's the staff through which he used to rule. So scepter is a word that was used for the staff of the king. And remember, Sayyidina Sulaiman was a prophet, but was also a king. So there's a slight distinct, that's why the word is different, asa, and this difference in the staff that is used by Nabi. Min annahu nabiyun from the, to the extent that in his capacity as a Nabi, and that rod or staff that is held by a king that is an indication of his royal power of his kingdom. So that staff that is being mentioned here, so maybe you want to call scepter or rod, uh, so there was some type of animal. Some have taken Nabatul Arz also to simply mean earthworm as opposed to termite because an earthworm is an animal that can eat uh, a staff. So, so then when Sayyidina Sulaiman fell down, right, because he had, when he passed away, so the jinn, it, uh, it became evident to the jinn that that if they had the knowledge of the unseen, if they had known the unseen, then they would not have remained and stayed back in a humiliating punishment. What does that mean? That means that when Suleiman passed away, and this is almost like the iconic image that you have of the king on the throne, and he's on the throne, and sitting on the throne, he passes away on the throne. And the courtiers are so busy working, that they're not fulfilling whatever orders the king had given them, that they don't realize the king had passed away. And so the jinn were following all these orders of the construction and whatever task 
Sayyidina given them, and after some time, they, it took some time, and that's the feeling that the Arabic is giving, that it took some time, and what is that time? Some commentators have said that was up to even a year, that they realized that he had passed away. And that's what it means by here, Adab al-Muhin is not referring to the punishment of the Akhirah, the punishment of Jannah. It means that all this time they were... Uh, it means two things, Adab and muhin Adab means that they were punished in the sense that they were doing all this hard labor. When the king has passed away, so it's almost futile. It's, it's futile to do it. And... Muhin is that why did Allah Ta'ala say that they didn't know the unseen and this is where their ihana or their tawheen, their zillat comes is because the jinn had claimed to the humans in the community of Sayyidina that we know the unseen. And then one of the things of the unseen would be when is Sayyidina is going to die? So when they didn't even know that and they're busy working around so this is the adab in that sense that Allah Ta'ala sent them to show them, to embarrass them. Right? In front of those humans, in front of whom they claimed they had knowledge of the unseen. So Allah Ta'ala took the life of Sayyidina Muhammad in such a way. This has also been used by the ulama to show that the, un- the bodies of the anbiya, nothing happens to them when they pass away. It's the staff that is mentioned, that the earthworm ate the staff, or the scepter rod, and when it was eaten a bit, then that crashed to the ground, and then that made a noise, right? And then that's what alerted the jinn. Otherwise, Sayyidina Sulaiman didn't even show the slightest wrinkle of any phenomenon of post-mortem right death. And so this is actually Allah Ta'ala preserves the bodies of the Anbiya. And certainly when we go to Madinah Munawwara, and may Allah Ta'ala take each of us over and over again to Masjid Nabwe, and we go to the Road of Mubarak, so Sayyidina Rasulullah is there, and his physical body is completely intact. There is no phenomenon of Mm, disintegration or any such thing that is happening and the proof of that one of the proofs that ulama use for that is in Quran alright verse 15 onwards now this is the mm, what we call the Wajah Tasmiyah the surah is named after this verse 15 لِسَبَئِن. so this is surah Saba so who was Saba? Saba was a comb in Yemen a community in the civilization in Yemen and their name was, in many, as is the case in many Arab cultures, derived from one of the names of their forefathers, who was Saba ibn Yashja. Alright, and they lived in a city that was about three days' journey from Sana'a, which is still a famous, and I think it may be even be the capital of Yemen today. Now, describing them, what Allah SWT is describing, what happened to them, لَكَدْ كَانَ لِسَبَئِنْ فِي مَسْكَنِهِمْ آيَةً that indeed, that for the people of Saba, there is an ayah, there is a sign for the people of Saba in their own maskan, in their own homeland, their own settlement, their own dwelling. Jannatani, so there were what was there? There were two orchards there, two gardens there. And Yemeni was Shamal, one on the right, one lying on the right, and one lying on the left. Kulu rabbikum, and you should eat from the provision that your, eat from the provision and sustenance that your Rabb has given to you. Washkurulahu and you should be thankful to him. Baldatun Tayyibatun Warabun Ghafur that be thankful for that he has given you a beautiful city, a noble city, a pleasant place to live, and Rabbun Ghafur and you should be grateful to him that he is a forgiving Rabb. And this itself for anyone who is well off, and for well off by that I mean lower middle class and above, this is a perfect line. That we should be grateful to Allah, he's given us a home, even if it's on rent. 
He gave us a place where we are safe and secure that we can sit with our family and our children in aman and in a state of amana and a state of itminan and a state of sukoon. So that can be our baldatun tayyibah that we are given a pure and pleasing and pleasurable place and we should be grateful that our Rabb is what type of Rabb? Huwa Rabbun Ghafoor that our Rabb is an all-forgiving Rabb. So this is how Allah subhanahu describes it. This is how they should have been. However, verse 16, However, they turned away in aversion. They spurned this. So what does Allah subhanahu say? فَأَرْسَلْنَا عَلَيْهِمْ سَيْلَ That we sent upon them the flood of the dam against them. And then that we changed and replaced those two gardens and orchards that they had into two fields of bitter, of bitter fruit. And what are those fruits? This, and I don't even know what this English fruit is, but the translation of this is a tamarisk and a sparse few lotus trees, right? Or you could even say a single little lotus tree means they lost everything they had because they were ungrateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And instead of having a beautiful place, an orchard, instead they were given these two fields which contained only bitter fruit. Thus Allah Ta'ala says, thus did we punish them and repay them for what? For their ingratitude or it can mean for their disbelief. That indeed we only punish those who are kafur means extreme level of kufr that is kufur. Just like ghafur means extreme center of maghfirah, extremely forgiving. Kufur means extremely ungrateful or means extremely disbelieving. Then we placed between them and uh, we placed towns between them and the cities that we blessed, we placed towns between them. And we made a journey in their stage-wise, or we have made levels and steps in the journey between them. And you should travel peacefully therein by night and by day. So what does it mean after getting the first punishment, right, that Allah subhanahu wa then made other places uh, where Allah Ta'ala sent his barakah, right? Al-Qur'an fiha And there were places where other cities and towns where Allah Ta'ala sent his barakah. These were situated all along the path and on stages and steps on the path on the roadside. And the people of Sabah were able to easily enter them, right, during their journey. So whenever they would travel somewhere by night or day, there were these constant towns or settlements on their side that they could rest in or they could stop in on that way. This is what Allah SWT is saying, that He made their journey easy for them and that they should travel peacefully. But what did they respond to that? فَقَالُوا رَبَّنَا بَعِدْ بَيْنَ أَسْفَارِنَا That Allah SWT, you have made this ease for us, that you have made it step by step and short distances for us, but they didn't want that. They said Allah SWT, lengthen the distances between the stages of our journey. And so when they send that, وَذَلَمُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ They only wronged and hurt their own selves. فَجَأَلْنَاهُمْ أَحَدِيثًا So that we made the mere narratives, we have made stories of them. وَمَذَّقْنَاهُمْ كُلَّ مُمَذِّقْ And then we have scattered them. 
into pieces. We have scattered them all over. Indeed, in this there are signs for each and every person who is extremely patient. Sabbar, just like Zafar means extremely forgiving. Sabbar, the person who is extremely patient and steadfast. Shakur, that person who is extremely thankful. Alright, so what does this mean? That means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He scattered them into pieces, means that Allah subhanahu wa destroyed them and reduced all of their properties to dust and then the remnants of their civilization have just become narratives and fables and stories from which people should take lessons. So what does this mean? The overall story is that sometimes when people are blessed with many bounties and blessings, they become boastful and proud and they fail to be grateful and thankful for all of the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa has given them. What did they think? Why did they want to do this? By the way, this is an economic motive. This is a capitalistic thing. The people of Sabah, why did they want the distances to be widened? So they wanted that, look, if the distances were widened, then not everyone would be able to travel to nearby towns and get merchandise. So if the distances between these different settlements is wide, then we will now have something called trade. And the elites felt that and only we will be rich enough to put in that investment and the camels and the people to go to the distant settlements and to buy goods from there and bring it back in trade. So they basically wanted to create this class, capitalist class of rich and capitalist class of poor. That was their intention. So if you want to see an ayah of Quran al-Kareem that talks about capitalism, right, in the sense of trying to manipulate structures of society in order to artificially create a class that is extremely rich, and at the same time then have a class that is extremely poor, if you try to do that in some type of artificial manipulation, right, then this is something that is something Allah SWT doesn't want. And what was he trying to say to them? That they should have been grateful for what they had. They were already well off. But to create that class disparity to become ultra-rich, that is something that is forbidden indeed. So a person is fairly well off. If you want to become extremely well off, well see there's limited resources, right? That's what the economists are telling. There's a certain GDP, a certain GNP, there's a certain per capita income, there's a certain pie. If you're not content with a perfectly nice piece of pie that you have, you want a bigger piece, it's going to mean that others are going to get a smaller piece. Others will be squeezed. So this philosophy, right, what in economics they call profit maximization and accumulation of capital and wealth, right, even then when it leads to the existence and festering and spreading of poverty, this is something that Allah Ta'ala in Qur'an for this comb of Sabah, and in Qur'an it's a lesson for us, this is qabla adab, this is worthy of the punishment for Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. That's why in our deen, zakah, sadqah, ushur, and hadya, and karde hasana, and so many things to create a more compassionate, welfare-based society, where you don't need to have where you not only do you not have ultra poor, but you wouldn't have ultra rich either. That's not your interest is forbidden. You know, when people ask about Islamic banking, I can tell you one thing, that if all of the financial institutions of the world practiced Islamic banking, i.e. non-interest based investment in finance, the only one who loses out is the financial institution. Because the financial is essentially middlemen. You have deposit holders, you have lenders, right? Bank, when it lends money out to people, it lends money from the Money that the deposit holders have put in their accounts. So that in the Islamic system, you wouldn't have this multi-trillion, multi-national, multi-billion, trillion dollar thing called Citibank. You wouldn't have that. The middleman would get less of a share. 
the deposit holders would get more profits and the entrepreneurs who engaged in it would also get to retain more of their earnings and revenues. Okay, that's a whole lecture we used to give back once upon a time. The Lums MBA ACF, right? That I cannot explain to you in detail now, but that is an overall phenomenon of the Islamic concept of economy and finance. So here, the group of Saba, and it shows greed. And this is something that even every Western philosopher of economics has said, that the number one emotion and motive behind capitalism is greed. And greed is a sifat or an attribute that in our deen, Allah SWT doesn't want us to have such a level of greed that it overwhelms and overcomes our compassion for other people. Verse 20. But it means literally that in, in fact uh, Iblis discovered that his expectation about them was completely true. He found that the opinion he had of them was verified and they followed him entirely except a segment of the believers. I'll explain this in a moment. However, Iblis was not able to have any authority over them. Other than that Allah Ta'ala allowed him to do this so that it could be manifested on earth who are those people who genuinely truly believe in the Akhirah and those mimman who are minha fi shak not even disbelieve and who are those people who are doubtful about it who are those people who harbor doubts about it وَرَبُّكَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ حَفِيذٍ And your Rabb is indeed watchful over each and everything is hafiz. He is watch and he is a father. He is watchful and guardian over each and every single thing. What does this mean? What this means is that uh, that Iblis is ability to sway people away and the notion here then was that the people of Saba, this capitalistic greed that came in them, was planted by Iblis. And you remember in Surah Baqarah, when we did the eye on riba, Allah Ta'ala says, literally the people who engage in riba were people who have been touched and made mad and put into a frenzy by the touch of shaitan. So here also, again, when you have this notion of financial sin and financial corruption, it is attributed to some a satanic act, right? So capitalism, unfettered and unrestrained capitalism, right? of the greed and colonialistic and non-poverty alleviating kind is actually a satanic phenomenon. So, but the Allah says the only reason he allowed Iblis means he doesn't have any sultan, he wasn't given any power, authority or sway over people for any reason other than so that it could be discerned and distinguished who are those who believe in the Akhirah and who are those who have doubt in it. So when we did, for example, in, uh, a few days ago that Allah says he will test everyone so Iblis is also a test. It's a test that Allah Ta'ala has put on earth for us to test who has yaqeen and who is in shak. And every human being has been empowered with the ability and options to make that choice. Verse 21 So call those whom you worship besides Allah Subhanahu Wa So it means that these people that the idols that what Allah Ta'ala talked to the disbelievers of Makkah Mukarama here, that the idols that the people of Sabah believed in could not help them in any way, nor can any of the idols that you estimate that they exist, neither can they help you in any way. Why? 
Remember what Allah said in the beginning that He had control over every atom. That these idols don't even have control over a single atom. There's not even a single particle that they have power over the idols that people worship. And وَمَالُهُمْ فِيهِمَا مِنْ شِرْكٍ وَمَالُهُمْ مِنْهُمْ مِنْ And they cannot even share. They have not. They have no share in the partnership. They have no share of either. They're not shirik in anything in the samawat and the ard. And none of them are even an ally here. None of them are allies to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in any way. Because some people had this concept of polytheism that there's one supreme God and then there are multiple lesser gods that are allies and assistants or helpers or aids to the supreme God. Here Allah ta'ala is refuting that concept of polytheism and idolatry as well. And Allah saying is that there will be no shifa, no intercession that will avail, will have any benefit in the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, except that for whom Allah ta'ala has allowed to do that shifa. It can mean both to whom Allah ta'ala has allowed to do the shifa and both to those whom Allah ta'ala has allowed to benefit from a shifa. Here it's saying the, the one that won't benefit is in the idols. Because they used to think that, okay, we keep believing in art. Because again, the mind of a polytheist would think that, okay, Allah, Allah, Allah is just yet another God. So we'll keep believing in our God. And if this God, Allah, ever manages to resurrect us and put us in front of him on the day of judgment, our gods will come to our assistance and help us against that God. That's how they were thinking, right? The ones who were believing mushrikeen, in the sense that you have a lot of people who are mushrikeen who didn't really even believe in their idols, right? Like today you have very few Hindus, for example, who really genuinely believe in all of the classical theology of the Hindu texts, right? Uh, but the vast majority of them, you know, are still mushrikeen, but not in a very believing, religious, uh, polytheistic sense. But so the ones who are like that, that's what they thought, that well, our gods will protect us. So this is what Allah SWT is saying, is that no, you, they, your gods are false. They will not be able to protect you. They will not be intercede for you. Only the intercession of Allah allows in that way that elsewhere, that is the intercession of the Prophet, the intercession of the Anbiya, the intercession of the Siddiqeen, etc., etc. Then, when uh, that when the fear uh, leaves their heart, when the fear of Allah is gone from their hearts, then they will say, Kalu Mada, then they will say, What is it that your Rub said? Mada Kalurabukum, what is it that your Rub said? Kalu al Haq that no our Rub he spoke the truth, Uhul Aliyul Kabir, and Allah subhanahu is exalted, the highest in stature, the highest in might, the highest in status, and exalted beyond everything that they attribute and associate to him. And Al Kabir, he is the great Allah subhanahu the magnificent Allah subhanahu he is the powerful Allah subhanahu wa So when they realize that, when they ask this question, then they will be told uh, that this is the truth. What does this mean? Uh, so, there were some others who felt that uh, the angels will also be able to intercede on the behalf of the mushrikeen, because some mushrikeen believed in angels. They believed in the concept of angels. 
So here it's being told that no, even the angels will not be able to because when they ask the angels, the angels will say that look, Allah Spanta is Al-Haq, He is the truth. And when the angels have such awe for Allah Spanta, that He is Al-Aliyul Kabir, how will they be able to intercede for a polytheist or a mushrik in front of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala? In a hadith, Sayyidina Rasulullah is in Sahih Bukhari, the Prophet said that whenever Allah Ta'ala issues any decree and any command, then the angels, because of their humility and their obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they start, mm, literally, you would say the English would be that they flap their wings. It means that they, because of the might and power of Allah Ta'ala that's manifested when He issues a decree, you know. Think like in this world, like in the palaces, when kings would issue a royal edict. So they would gather a whole group, right? And then a heralder would blow the trumpet and with great fanfare, the edict would be issued, right? And people would, if there was an awe-inspiring king, they would stand in awe of that king. So what the Prophet meant, the real meaning of that Arabic is that when Allah Subhanahu issues a decree and command, so the angels quiver and tremble out of that awe, so much so that the heavens resound with a noise. And then, when fear leaves their hearts, when fear leaves the hearts of the angels, because the angels also fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so then, according to this hadith, that's what this ayah means, that when fear leaves the hearts of the angels, they say to one another, they look at one another, that what was it, right? That ma'adha qala rabbukum, that what was it that your Rabb just said? Because we were in so awe of Allah ta'ala, we couldn't register what is the command that He's given us, right? And call said that they will say to one another, Al-Haq, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has spoken the truth, uh, and uh, the reply that they will give is that Allah speaks the truth, and he is Al-Aliyul Kabir. Alright. Verses 24 onwards. That say to them, my beloved messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that who is it who is providing for you, who is giving you risk from the heavens and earth? Qulillah. That say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And either it's we or you who are on Hidayah, following the right guidance and right action, or are on evident error, clear and manifest error. And you will not be questioned about the sins that we perpetrate, and we will not be questioned about what you do. Respond, that our Rabb will gather all of us together. And then He will decide between us according to Haq. That indeed Allah is the best judge and the, is the best judge and the most knowing of beings. That say to them that show me those to whom you have ascribed as partners to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Kalla, never could you do such a thing, but rather Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is almighty and all wise. So here then, and this is, again, this is this, this surah is a mix of Makki and Madni ayat. The vast majority are Makki. These are very early ayat that were revealed on the Prophet and this is one of his early message to the Mushrikeen of Makkah Makarama, right? That they should be told, look, there's either there's Tawheed or there's not Tawheed. There can only be one thing that's correct. Either there's Tawheed or there's Shirk, right? So it's not a question that you can take this position that we are on our Shirk, but maybe yet there's another God. No. Or maybe we're on our Shirk and maybe there's a Supreme God. No. 
Either it's you or it's us, you have to decide. And if you don't decide on this earth, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will certainly decide between us on the Day of Judgment. And Allah ta'ala is the best judge, He is all-knowing, but on that day it will be too late. Then, that every person will have to answer himself for their sins, right? So nobody will be, this is verse 25, and nobody will question about the sins that they perpetrate, nobody will be questioned about what you do. This is something we have discussed before, but nonetheless, even though people of Iman won't be asked about the idolatry of the idol worshippers, they will be asked about whether they did dawah to those idol worshippers that were within their realm. This is another thing, although it's not so relevant here, but since I said it, I would bring it up. I think a lot of people today underestimate the responsibility on a Muslim to do dawah. Now, understand that there is no Nabi that will ever come. That's also going to come after Dhuhr, right? There is no other book that's going to come. So all of humanity can only get guidance through deen of Islam, but they can only get guidance if there's somebody who can guide them to that, if there's somebody who can invite them to that. And yes, if a person says, oh, I only have one out of a hundred chances of succeeding, well, no problem, go and find a hundred non-Muslims, and that means, according to you, one will accept Islam, that one may be enough to take to make Allah Ta'ala forgive you for your sins. And yes, certainly, maybe not all of us have the knowledge required for dawah, maybe we don't have the um, zeal and passion for that yet, but at least we should realize that that's part of our deen. And if there are people who are doing that, we should give them our du'as, we should support them emotionally, but I mean that we should support them, we should feel that that is part of deen. As opposed to people who are so embarrassed about Islam that uh, when they meet a non-Muslim, they make every effort to show them their adab and akhlaq, but they don't make any effort to show them the nur of their imam. They make every effort to show them their behavior, but they don't make any effort to show them their beloved messenger. Right? So they make every effort to tell them about the culture of their country. That no, 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 Pakistan's not like that, and Pakistan's a great place, and Pakistan's this, and you should come visit me one day. Right? They love saying that. But they can never tell them that no, no, Islam is not like what you read on CNN and Fox News. You should come read the Quran one day. They can't say that. They're too scared. Right? They're too embarrassed. As certain as you are that Pakistan is not like that, right? So you should be even more sure that Islam is not like that the way they think it to be. Right? So this element of dawah has become so absent and again it's because we don't have that own yaqeen and that own itminan and that own itimad. And one reason again for that, although I keep saying it to you, but one reason is because we don't have ilm. When you have tos ilm of Quran, then you will have tos itimad in your deen. And when you don't really, really fully know all of the amazing things Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, then you won't feel amazing itimad or itminan or yaqeen on your deen. Alright? Okay. Verse number 20. وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا That, O Nabi Akram Sallallahu we have not sent you, our beloved Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, إِلَّا كَافَةً لِلنَّاسِ Except as sufficient for all of humanity. This is Nabi Akram so He's not Nabi Al-Mu'mineen. He's not Nabi Al-Makkah. He's not Nabi Al-Madina. He's not just that. He's Nabi Al-Nas. And he's kafatan lin-nas. He's the only Nabi who was the universal prophet for all of universal humanity and he alone is sufficient. And this is something that we're going to do again after Zawar and Surah Al-Azab but he's is Khatam and Nabiyyin. Does that mean that Nabi is sufficient for all of humanity? It's finished. Just these two ayahs Kafatan lin-nasi precludes any possibility of anyone being a prophet. Whether it's any of the multiple people who have tried Musaylama or Bahauddin, the head of the Baha'u 
faith, right? Or Mirza Ghulam Qadiani. He cannot be a prophet. And you should not feel in any way embarrassed about this. And you should not think that liberalism and human rights means that you should say Qadianis are a sect of Muslims. They're not a Muslim sect. They're non-Muslims. They're non-Muslim. Because they believe in another prophet. You cannot believe in another prophet and stay Muslim. Every religion has certain boundaries. If a Jew believes that Prophet Muhammad is a prophet, they believe in another prophet, they will be declared a non-Jew. By every single liberal human rights activist Jew in America, they will call such a person a non-Jew. If a Christian believes that Prophet Muhammad is a prophet, every single person in America will call him a non-Christian. You're not Christian now. Because you believe in yet another teaching which is beyond the teachings of your deen. Anybody who believes that Mirza Ghulam Qadiani is a prophet is not a Muslim. If they do so many things that are similar, it doesn't make a difference to us. It doesn't make a difference to us. Right? That's why Christians don't accept us as Christians. We say, look, look at Surah Maryam. We believe in her. We believe in Islam. We have so many things that are similar. They say, but yeah, but you're not Christian because you also believe in the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu and if we stress and insist similarities, whether in morals or ethics or even many theological similarities, we say, we believe Isa Islam is going to come back to earth. You believe he's coming back to earth. Call us Christians. They say, you're not Christian because you believe in another prophet. You can never be Christian. Because no, we're a sect. If I say, no, Muslims, we're a sect of Christianity. No one will accept it. The United States government will not allow me to register a masjid as a Christian denomination. I have to register as an Islamic organization. I say, with something of freedom, where's the freedom? They say, there's one thing is freedom, one thing is fraud. For you to call yourself a Christian denomination is just fraud. And you're not given the freedom to do fraud. You're not given religious freedom to do religious fraud. In America, you're not given secular freedom to do religious fraud. So we can never let the Qadiani call himself a Muslim. We cannot accept that. That's a fraud. How can we be told to accept that fraud? Alright? You should not be embarrassed about this. That's the thing in the Quran. He's sufficient. Anybody who thinks that the, another Nabi is needed, they're defying this ayah of Quran. They're saying, he's not kaf. You know that in Urdu, kafi. He's not kafa. He's not sufficient. Right? You even don't think you need another father or you don't need another mother. If somebody suggested to you that there's this woman, you need another mother, you would get upset. All the liberalism in the world wouldn't let you accept such a statement. So why do you accept somebody who says that we need another prophet? Because remember, Kalyanis don't say that he's a prophet just for them. He says he's our prophet. That's what they believe. Every Kalyani believes that Mirza Ghulam Kalyani was a prophet to us also, and me and you are deniers in his prophecy. And he's written in his book that anybody who denies my prophecy will go to hell forever. So people say, Actually, we're not out to say anything bad about them. They can live as fellow citizens in Pakistan, no problem. There are plenty of other non-Muslims here. There are Christians here, Hindus here, Qadianis here, everyone. We completely acknowledge the white side of the flag. We can live in complete, mutual, peaceful coexistence with one another. There's just one thing we refuse to call them Muslim. We can't participate in that fraud. No Hindu has ever asked us to call them a Muslim. No Christian has ever asked us to call them a Muslim. No Jew has ever asked us to call them a Muslim. No atheist has ever asked us to call them a Muslim. Because even they realize that would be a ridiculous thing to expect of a person. That when we have beliefs that are antithetical to Islam, how can we expect that they're going to call us a Muslim? Right? So this is the only one thing. If Qadinis can give this thing up, if they can just say that you're fine, we're not Muslim. 
Just like the Baha'is were very honest. They started believing in Baha'i and Baha'i. They said, we're Baha'i. They don't say we're Muslim. They say, we are Baha'i. We are another religion. We want to be listed on Wikipedia as a separate religion. They don't say they're Muslim. They believe in the Prophet Every Baha'i believes that Sayyidina Muslim is a Prophet. They do believe that. But they had the intellectual honesty that if we believe in another Prophet, it means we're another religion. That's one mutalba we have of Qatanis. That's it. That's it. You keep printing your books, reading your books, you believe in whatever you want, just don't call yourself a Muslim. That's it. Right? And people don't understand this. Right? People don't understand this. They think this is some highly illiberal thing. Why do you want them to declare themselves a non-Muslim? Because in every sense, fraud will not be allowed. Whether it's secular fraud or religious fraud, we cannot allow a person to commit fraud. We cannot allow imposters. Right? So Nabiya Karim said in Quran that he is kafatan nas. He is sufficient for all of humanity. Wa and he is a bearer of glad tidings and he is a warner. But the vast majority of humanity will not know. That I've explained to you several times before, that the vast majority of people will not follow the Prophet in his lifetime or in anyone's lifetime. And Adith in Sahih Bukhari Nabiyakhtan mentioned that I've been granted five things that no other human was granted before me. Number one, Nusurtu Birdu'ab, that I was benefited with Ru'ab. Ru'ab means a certain awe-inspiring nature, an awe-inspiring nature. Number two, that the entire earth has been made a place of Salah and Sajda for me. means that you can perform Salah anywhere. Our Ibadah is not confined to just Masajid. Certainly there's Fazilat of the Masajid, but you can do Sajda anywhere on earth. Obviously, as long as that earth is pure, nobody's urinated on something, but all of earth has been made in Musallah. And here, similar, you could make this, this is part of the second one, and all of earth has been made tahara. Now, it's tayammum, so from all of the soil of all of the earth and the whole world, and all of the sand of all of the beaches of the whole world, etc., we can make tayammum. Number three, uh, fair, uh, number three is that uh, spoils of war have been permitted for me, whereas in previous communities, we learned from Hadith that the earlier Anbiya were not allowed to keep uh, anything that they gained in warfare. This was initially done because Nabiya Qutim was the community was, as you're going to see when we do Surat Al-Azab after Zohar, they were very weak and they were attacked when they were very weak. And their weakness, weakness in the sense of strength or arms or whatever, uh, was something that then endangered Islam. And so when Allah Ta'ala miraculously through angels and many things that we're going to see enabled them to have victory, then Allah Ta'ala enabled them to take the Asbab from those who attacked them, so that they could become strong in an asbabi sense. Number four, I've been granted the privilege of shifa, that I will intercede on the Day of Judgment. And some, here, and number five, and that other anbiya were sent to particular communities, but I have been sent to entire humanity. He is Nabiya Kul, he is Nabiya Insan, he is Kafat al-Nas, he is the last and final prophet and messenger, the prophet for one, the prophet for all. Verse 29, that They say that when will this promise be fulfilled if indeed you are truthful? Tell them, Nabiya Knipsam, that you have an appointment for you on a day and you cannot even delay that day, postpone that day for even one moment, nor can you bring it forward, nor will that happen earlier. This was the classic question that they kept asking that when will that day of judgment come? Verse 31, and those who disbelieve, they say that we will never ever believe in this Quran. Nor will we believe in the scriptures that have come before it. 
But if only you could see the time, if only you could see the time when those wrongdoers and oppressors will be standing before their God, each and every one of them will be passing the blame to one another. Each and every one of them will be passing allegations back at one another, blaming one another. And those who are of a lower status will say to those who are of a higher status. It can also mean that those who are degraded will say to those who are arrogant. That if it weren't for you, we would have been believers. In other words, it wasn't for you and you led us astray and you convinced us that this wasn't true. So it can mean, number one, the leaders of the mushrikeen. The mushrikeen will disavow their leaders and will be upset with their leaders on that day. It can mean the leaders of the atheists. It can mean any uh, people who convince people not to practice Islam. Any person who used their higher status and position to take people away from deen, those who were of that lower status, will actually blame them on the day of judgment. But then they will have a response. Verse 33, That those who are of a higher status will respond to those of the lower status. That did we forcibly prevent you and hold back the Hidayah from you? After it came to you, But no, you were chose the path of sin yourself. You're guilty on your own. So then again they will toward, that those who are of a lower rank or those who are despised or degraded will say to those who are arrogant or who are of a higher rank, That indeed, no, it was a scheme. Literally means a day and night did your schemes. Day and night? No. And saying, no, it wasn't that we, you did force us. Day and night you schemed about this. Day and night used to sit and think, how can people be prevented from Iman? How can be people taken away from Amal? How can we stop people from being fundos? Hmm? Day and night used to think about this. Day and night used to reflect about this. And what did you do? And day and night you used to instruct us uh, not to uh, instruct us to deny Allah SWT. So it is your fault. That's how they will respond. That no, it is your fault. And then they will suppress that remorse when they see the punishment of the fire. So that regret that they have and the remorse that they have, it will go away when they see the blaze of the fire in front of them. Another way you can say this, it also means that they will confide their remorse when they see the penalty of the fire. But then Allah Ta'ala will put yokes upon the necks of the disbelievers and they will be punished only for what they did. Hal that they will only be punished for what they used to do. So the point is that the, either way, Allah Ta'ala will punish a person for what they did. So if a person was misleading, they will be punished for that. If they didn't mislead anyone, they will be punished for that. Allah Ta'ala's justice will be perfect on that day. These are similar passages that have come previous in Quran, verse 34. Whenever we sent a warner to a community, then the affluent members of that community, the affluent members of the community, they used to say that we don't believe in kafirun. We disbelieve in that which you were sent with. And they used to say that we possess more property and more children than you. Right? It means they would present their dunya and their accomplishment and achievement in dunya. And they would say, And we can never be punished. It can also mean that we can never be chastised in this world and nor can we ever be punished in the akhirah. 
course, will say to them, My beloved Messenger, Allah certainly expands the provision and sustenance for whomsoever he wants, and he restricts it and narrows it for whomsoever he wants. However, the vast majority of people don't know. Then Allah said, that your wealth it is not your wealth, property, assets nor is it your children that is going to bring you closer to Allah Ta'ala's presence that's not going to make any difference right? who, where, who is going to get that closeness? But no, those who have iman and do virtuous acts and righteous deeds and are people of integrity. They will get a double reward, double reward, or you can even say multiplied reward, due to what they used to do. And they will be in the... They will be secured, they will be in a state of aman, in the highest pavilions, in the highest palaces, in the highest chambers in Jannah. As far as those who strive and exert themselves to defeat and thwart and go against the verses of Revelation, they will be brought to a punishment. They will be presented for a punishment in front of Allah. And say that Allah expands the risk for his servants, for whom serve he wishes of his servants, and he narrows it from survey wishes, and whatever you spend, whatever you spend from that provision, then Allah subhanahu ta'ala will mm, follow it up with a reward. Allah ta'ala will replace it in this world and grant you a reward for that in the akhirah. And he is the best of providers, the best of sustainers. Right, so this refers to both spending obviously it means first spending wealth, but it also means in a sense spending of your children. It means anything that you have in the dunya. Wealth and children and anything in the dunya in of itself are not of benefit, but that wealth and children that are used for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Children means that their tirbiyah is done, they are given such ilm of Quran and deen that they are on yaqeen, then they are taught that their role on earth is to do khidmat of mu'mineen, khidmat of makhluk, that they are supposed to be dies to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that they have the sabr and the akhlaq that the Prophet has, then such children will be of benefit to you. But children in of themselves are nothing to pride oneself on. And many traditional cultures today and then, it would just a pride just how many children you have. Just the number. Just the number of children was itself a pride. So, in a sense, you can say, Allah subhanahu wa saying, no, it's their quality. It's their kubuli. It's their sifat. And if their sifat, their mu'minana, then they will be of benefit to you. And then remember that day when we shall gather everyone all together, when everyone will be gathered together. And then there will be, and then will be said to the angels, you pull the malaikati, that they will be told to the angels that these people worship you. So the angel responds, Subhanaka anta waliyuna, that oh glory be to you, Allah Subhanahu you are our wali, you are our protector, our benefactor, our patron, our friend, min dunahim, not them. And what did balkanu yabudun al jinn? But in fact, no, they didn't worship us. They used to worship the jinn. And the vast majority of them had faith in jinn. So this is something that in one sense, certain mushrikeen had that, and we did that before, uh, that they were following the jinn. It can also be used for today, the people who love to go into this dark, magic world of amliyat and jinn capturing and kisip or 
ye karna pir vodorna. So it means that this is Allah tells clear that there's going to be a group of people who do that, right? And Iman bil jinn is against Iman billah. I mean, we believe jinn exist, right? But worshipping them or turning to them or trying to capture them or trying to use them or casting spells and then counterspell and then counter counterspell, all of that is against the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants. And yes, no doubt, Allah ta'ala has allowed certain jinn because Allah has given shaitan and the shayateen certain abilities, right? Um, but that person who remains on Iman and Taqwa, they're mahfuz. They're protected, they stay in Allah Ta'ala's hifazah. Right. And on this day, and a lot of people, even a lot of religious people are very into this. Right? This is a big problem. Uh, so everyone, don't look at their deen. I'm telling you clearly that all jinn and amliyat and all of those things, you should stay away from them altogether. No matter how religious the person is who is telling you. Right? And you should just sit there, you know, when you go to a radiologist and their x-rays are taken. So you can do a statistical survey in one day, maybe 40% the x-ray shows something, 60% the x-ray shows nothing. You sit with these people, they claim to have their own x-ray. Everyone who comes out has some nazar and hus. I will go to them. Let's say you give me a disguise, I go there. I will come out and say, No one has ever come to me that I went to so-and-so and he actually gave me a clean bill. So now I'm coming to you and asking that maybe it's a spiritual problem in my lack of taqwa. No one today has ever come and told me that. They always think everyone is diagnosed <laughs> over there as being ill and been given a prescription. So it can't be like that. It's not possible, right? It's, that's just not possible. And some of them are fakes and some of them are generally deceived and they're the ones who are more misleading. Because they genuinely believe what they're doing and so can, you can see their genuineness in them. You see it as just in terms of human emotions and then you also get confused. Right? I don't know. I do. Sometimes I'm just amazed. You know, some you know, highly intelligent people uh, still believe in these things. Right? And again, like I told you, to the extent that these things do exist, I'm not denying their existence. But, you know, the real one that exists, none of these guys are going to be able to protect you from that. Only Allah Ta'ala can protect you from that. That's the very end of Quran. Kul falak. Kul Allah Ta'ala is saying that, yes, when if shaitan really does put all of his force on you, right? And if some evil person has got some evil jinn to do something evil to you, then that is something that only and only Rabbul Nas you can seek refuge in him for. And why would you go to a lesser authority when Allah Ta'ala is offering himself, so to speak, the greatest power with the greatest might, that he will protect you? Why would you go? Right? Okay. Right? And that day that will be a day in which no one will be able to benefit one another. None should be able to benefit or harm one another. They will not be able to harm another. We will say to those who are wrongdoers, Now you will taste the punishment of that blazing fire which used to deny its very existence. When our clear manifest and clarifying verses are recited to them, and they will say about the Prophet that he is just a person and just a man who wants nothing else than to stop us from following what our 
following and worshipping what our forefathers used to worship. And then they would say, this is nothing other than a concocted lie that he has invented. And then the displays will say about the truth, when the truth comes to them, that this is nothing other than manifest magic. Similar passages like this have come many times in the Quran. And the repetition that Allah Ta'ala is giving is, remember, Quran was revealed over 23 years. Right? So this is why many times things are being repeated. Because time and time again, the mushrikeen need to hear this. Time and time again, they make these accusations against the Prophet ﷺ. And indeed, we did not give them any scriptures that they could study, meaning the mushrikeen, not Ahl Kitab, but the mushrikeen are not even arguing on the basis of any type of scripture, nor have we sent a rasul to them before you, uh, nor have we sent a rasul as a prophet, as a warner to them before you. And those who had come before them, they had denied these people cannot even reach a tenth. They have not even gone a tenth of what, they, what we gave to those. So they rejected my messengers. And how intense will my nakir be on them? How intense is my disapproval with them in this world? And how grievous will my retribution, my nakara be with them in the akhirah? What does this mean? Uh, it, it didn't mean a tenth of deen. It means that they have not reached a tenth. It means that those other communities that we did earlier, Ad, Samud, uh, even the Qom of Saba, were given so much wealth and so much might and so much power. And these, because the Mushrikin of Makkah were not such a powerful community, right? They haven't been given one tenth of that. And they should be so honored that we have sent them a book and a scripture now. And this was a mistake because the Mushrikin of Makkah Mukarama, they used to have a lot of respect for the Ahl Kitab a lot of respect for the Jews and Christians and their scholars because they view them as people who receive scripture, people who believe in prophets. It was something that, although they didn't convert to Christianity, but they had a lot of respect. They gave them a maqam because of that. So now Allah is saying, I'm giving you that maqam. I'm sending Quran on you. I'm saying Sayyidina on you. You used to view others having that maqam. Now don't you see how much karam Allah Ta'ala has put on you? But you're still choosing to deny and again, even you could say it in the other way, I mean, that's not what's being said here in Quran, but as an aside, even their form of shirk was not so sophisticated as ancient Roman or Greek methodology. It was a very crude, primitive type of shirk that they were engaged in. So to be able to give that up for rahmatullah al-alameen and for Quran al-Karim should have been so easy for them to do. So, verse number 46 onwards. Then, uh... So say to them that, look, I advise and counsel you with just one simple thing. That you, uh, I want to give you one counsel. And that is what, that you are going to stand for Allah subhanahu wa Matna is the dual. So it means that you will stand before Allah subhanahu in pairs or alone. And that you should And you should reflect, you should reflect, and you should ponder. Ma bisahibukum min jinnah. And sahib means Nabiya Kimsasam is their sahib. He is from amongst them. So your companion literally means Nabiya Kimsasam. He is not insane if you take it to be known, or he's not possessed if you take it from coming from jinn, but rather he is but a warner to you. 
He is but come as a warner to you who illa nadirun lakum. He just warned you many a day of and shadeed. And very shortly soon in front of you it will come to pass a strict and severe punishment. Qul ma sa'altukum min ajrin. And say to them that you can, I do not, uh, I'm not asking you of any reward or any compensation. This is what we've seen many times before, again in Quran, that why? Because inna ajriya illa illa Allah, that indeed my reward comes is only with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who and shadeed, shaheed, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a witness over each and every single thing. Qul inna rabbi yaqdifu bil haqq, that say my Rabb is actually the perfect, mm, he will vanquish and conquer with truth. He will vanquish and conquer with truth. Allah al ghuyub and He is the one who has perfect knowledge of all matters that are unseen. So it means that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes, His message is coming with truth. Literally, you can say He hurls the truth at you. It means He vanquishes and conquers and comes with truth. al and say to them that indeed the haq has arrived. Batil, and now Batil will never again reappear, will never will not appear. nor it shall ever make a return. And say to them, call in the that if I if I am astray, <coughs> that I astray to my own detriment. However, when if I am guided, if I'm guided, on a, then it is not because of my own ability, but it is by what my Allah has revealed me to be. means this is an attitude we should take, that if I make a mistake, I attribute it to my own self. But if I do anything good, it is only because of what Allah has sent down to me. This is what the Prophet is saying about himself, and this is a sunnah way that we should all believe about ourselves as well. That all the bad in it we attribute to our own nafs, and all the good in it we attribute to the hidayah and tawfiq Allah Ta'ala blessed us with. Innuhu samiyun kareeb. Indeed, Allah Subhanahu is all hearing and is all close. And the nisbat here between that is that you can translate them loosely. Allah Ta'ala hears you intently and intimately. Allah Subhanahu is hearing you so close, right? Uh, closer to your own self. That if you could only see that when they will be terrified, when it means when they meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then they will have no escape, and then very shortly they will be, and this will happen very shortly, that they will be seized from nearby. And then they will say, we believe in it. But how can it reach them from a distant place? So this imam cannot reach them from the akhirah. means that they will believe in the akhirah. When they see the punishment of Allah Ta'ala in the Akhra, they will believe. But that Iman that they were going to take on the Day of Judgment cannot reach them from such a far place into this world and come into their heart now. That's what it means. right? Uh, and indeed they have already just believed about it inwardly and in before in this world. Uh, and they speculated about the unseen from a faraway place. It means for them the Akhra was just something that they... Uh, speculated or even discarded really uh, from far away and there is a barrier and between them and between what they wish for there is a barrier just like Allah made uh, just like Allah made this happen to groups that came before them and indeed they were ever in a confused doubt so this is referring to on the, their condition on the day of judgment right uh, that on that day then a barrier will fall between them and what they hope for 
all their hopes will be dashed when they witness the reality of the Day of Judgment. Whether that means that they hope they would live forever, or whether that means that they hope that they would not be raised again, and they hope that this world was the end for them, and that was their hope, they will never be able to achieve that hope. Or maybe it was their hope that their idols and false gods would help them, they will, that hope will also be dashed, they will also lose that hope. Whatever hope they bring to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, it will be dashed on that day. When Allah ta'ala here had said that uh, the truth manifests itself, and it shall not return, uh, fal- uh, falsehood has, truth has manifested itself, falsehood will not appear, and falsehood will not return. Some of the commentators say that this is the verse that was revealed and then recited by Sayyidina, recited by Sayyidina at Fatih Makkah. Right? That the truth has arrived, yani, uh, Deen of Islam has arrived, Ja al-Hakku, Deen of Islam has arrived in Makkah Makarama, Wama yumdi'ul batil, and batil will never appear again in Makkah Makarama, nor will it ever return. Right? And then again, the very important thing is that uh, we should have that humility that whatever good we do comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and whatever sins and mistakes we do, we should attribute that to our own nafs. Alright, here in Surah Sabah. So we'll stop here and in a few minutes we'll pray the Salah. And then shortly after 2, around 2.10, we will begin Surah Al-Asa. Wa'alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.